Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, today was a day for the record books, although the way the market is falling, it's hard to say exactly how long today's record is going to stand. But for now, today's 2,352-point decline in the Dow Jones is the single largest point drop ever In fact, in percentage terms, today's 9.99% drop, I mean, let's call it 10%, is the biggest single-day percentage decline in the U.S. stock market or in the Dow since the 1987 stock market crash. And in fact, today's 10% decline is the fourth largest percentage decline in the Dow Jones in a single day ever. We seem to keep breaking that record. You know, this is the biggest one-day decline in the Dow Jones since the stock market crash of 1987. The percentage decline was 9.99, so call it 10% in one day. The S&P, a little bit better, just down 9.5%. Again, the weakest of the indexes is the Russell 2000, down just over 11% in one day. You know, this index is now down about 35% since its peak. And remember, it peaked in the summer of 2018. It never made a new high uh, like the other indexes, which is why it looked the weakest to me. But now not only has the Russell 2000 fallen below where it was when Trump was inaugurated, it's now wiped out all the gains from three months prior to the date that Donald Trump was elected. 
That is a massive decline. And as the stock market declines, so do the odds of Donald Trump being reelected to a second term. I've never seen it uh, so much against him now on the predicted markets. Of course, the only thing that is holding up the S&P really are the most overvalued stocks in the S&P, the FANG names, you know, the Facebooks, the Amazons, the Apples, the Netflixes. Uh, these stocks, if you look at the monthly charts, you could barely notice that anything has happened. Meanwhile, lots of other stocks are getting obliterated. Again, the financials continue to get killed. A lot of them down 10 to 15% today. Wells Fargo down almost 16% today. Just looking at a couple, Morgan Stanley down over 15%. But lots of stocks are just getting killed. You know, anywhere you look, you could find stocks down 15 to 20% today, but you're not seeing those type of declines in the most overvalued of stocks. And the question is, how long is that going to last? Because what typically happens in bear markets is first they go after the troops and then they go after the generals, right? And in this case, uh, the generals are the fangs or these stocks. And it's only a question of time. These stocks are going to go down and they're going to go down hard. And when they do, we're going to see much bigger uh, moves in, in the stock market. But the real story of the day is not what happened in the stock market, but what was happening behind the scenes in the credit markets and what prompted the Federal Reserve to launch now officially QE4, although they're not labeling it that, but they can no longer pretend that they're not doing QE. But what the Fed announced today is a larger asset purchase program than the first three rounds of quantitative easing combined which is exactly what I said from the minute the Fed pretended that they could uh, taper down their balance sheet, right? Once QE3 officially ended and they said that was it, I said, no, they're going to have to do it again. And the next time they do it, it's going to be bigger than the first three rounds combined. And that is exactly what they announced. I mean, they are going to be buying trillions and trillions of dollars worth of bonds, all sorts of bonds in order to prevent the prices from collapsing. In fact, when the Fed announced this trillion dollar QE, I think it's 500 billion every few months, but it's open-ended. They're going to keep on doing it. And of course, they're going to have to do it because the debts are exploding out of control. But when they were doing it, even though the Dow was down 2,000 points, yields on the 30-year were rising. Remember, on the last couple of podcasts, I was saying this is very suspicious. The bond bubble might have popped and it sure looked like it had and it was scaring the hell out of the Fed because it wasn't just long-term treasuries that were falling, but muni bonds, corporate bonds, the spreads were blowing out. You couldn't sell bonds. The bids were disappearing. We would have had a complete meltdown in the credit markets if the Federal Reserve hadn't come in buying up everything in sight. And, you know, I saw the uh, official numbers for the balance sheet from last week. And the Fed increased its balance sheet by another $70 billion. Remember, the week before that was about $83 billion. So the balance sheet is back up at $4.3 trillion, or it was before this week. Remember, the highest it got after QE3 was $4.5 trillion. I know we're above that now. Next week, we're going to find out just how many bonds the Fed bought, but I bet it's at least half a trillion. I bet they did at least half a trillion in quantitative easing. 
this week, maybe this day alone, we'll find out. But this is going to be open-ended. So while the Fed was pretending that what they were doing earlier in the repo market wasn't QE, they can't pretend anymore. Now, I called out the Fed initially the minute they did it. I said it was QE. They came up with this ridiculous distinction without a difference. They tried to say, well, the difference is we're buying short-term maturities and we used to buy long-term maturities. Who cares about the maturities? In fact, every time the short-term bonds mature, they just buy them again. So it doesn't make a difference. All that matters is that they are monetizing government debt. And the reason they did that was to stop the financial market, the bond market from imploding. Now, for whatever reason, even though this was happening, the U.S. dollar was actually strengthening on the day. The dollar index was up about one full percent. Uh, it was higher before the Fed came out with this announcement, but you know, uh, it still finished stronger on the day. Gold, on the other hand, which really should be soaring based on the size of this quantitative easing program, gold dropped about 60 bucks. It was like a 4% drop in the price of gold and in fact gold stocks were among the biggest losers on the day not the uh the more heavily capitalized stocks i mean if you look at newmont mining for example it was only down 3.4 percent it's the only gold stock in the s p 500 and it was barely down but if you look at the smaller names that are in the junior mining sector the gdxj that was down 26 percent on the day on the day we're now down about 47% from the highs. We're all the way down in the GDXJ to where we were in February of 2016 when the price of gold was around $1,100, right? I mean, we're now at $1,575. So we're only about 7% away from the highs that we set a week ago, just above $1,700, yet we're down almost 50% in these junior gold mining stocks. I know it's very frustrating for people who own these stocks to see this happen. I mean, obviously with the benefit of hindsight, we could have just sat back with cash and watched the price of gold go up 70% and have bought no gold stocks and then waited for the first 7% correction in the price of gold and then bought all the stocks for a cheaper price than what we would have paid if we had anticipated the entire rally and bought them uh, you know, back in... Uh, early 2016 but you know what all of this is going to turn around because the problem is people still don't understand the significance of what the fed is doing and of course it's not just the gold stocks that are getting clobbered all of the foreign markets are crashing to the same degree that the u.s stock market is crashing the same is true for all the non-gold stocks that i own and that i own for my clients i mean we own a lot of value stocks, a lot of good dividend paying stocks, and those stocks are falling as much as the U.S. stock market. Now, I guess that's a little bit better again than 2008, where the foreign stocks were actually going down more than the domestic stocks. This time they're going down by about the same amount. But the difference is that the foreign stocks that are dropping are dropping from a much lower valuation level than where the U.S. stocks are dropping from. The U.S. stocks are extremely expensive, whereas the foreign stocks were more fairly valued to undervalued. Now you have a situation where the foreign stocks are dirt cheap. 
You know, we have stocks trading at prices that they haven't traded at since the depths of the 2008 financial crisis. Many stocks are actually trading now for lower prices than they were at during the low points of the 2008 financial crisis. But when it comes to the broader U.S. market, stocks are nowhere near where they were back then. In fact, despite the crash that we've already seen in U.S. stocks, U.S. stocks remain significantly overvalued despite the collapse. So the significant difference is U.S. stocks are still expensive and they shouldn't be bought and they have a long way to fall, whereas foreign stocks are now very cheap and they should be bought even though they may fall more they are going to recover a lot quicker they will rebound a lot faster because once the dust settles once some of the liquidity returns and people aren't scared when people are looking for value and they're looking for dividend yield they're going to snap up these stocks the problem is once the dust settles you're not going to have all the panic sellers uh, to fill those orders so when the bargain hunters come in and try to buy up these bargains they're going to quickly disappear so i'm not worried about the uh, impact the long-term impact about the decline that we're seeing now in our value and dividend paying foreign stocks i am just salivating over the opportunity that we can buy more of these stocks for clients or new new accounts uh, while the sale is on, which I don't expect to last very long. And of course, once the dollar really turns, uh, then the U.S. price of these uh, foreign stocks are really going to move up. On the other hand, I don't see any value buyers coming into the U.S. market because there's no value to buy. I mean, maybe with the exception of some of the oil stocks, which have completely imploded. And I agree there's some value there uh, among the U.S. oil companies that don't go bankrupt. The ones that survive uh, will be in better shape. So, yes, I think there's some value there, but I still think there's even better value in the foreign oil names. So why fool around with the domestic companies? But in most cases, U.S. stocks are still way overvalued, despite the fact that they're now 25% or so from their highs, because they're 25% below a substantially inflated price. And so the price is just less substantially overflated than it was before. So I don't think any bargain hunters are going to come in, not until the prices are much, much lower. And more significantly than that, the U.S. is headed for a massive recession, financial crisis, stagflation, rising long-term interest rates. So we're going to have very bleak economic conditions and very bleak outlook going forward for corporate earnings, which is going to pressure U.S. stocks for many, many years, if not decades to come. On the other hand, when the dollar collapses and foreign uh, currencies appreciate and the world is relieved of the burden of having to support and vendor finance the United States, when more foreign savings are deployed domestically uh, to invest in their own economies rather than loaning to U.S. consumers and uh, kept in treasuries, I think you're going to see a boom outside the United States, particularly in the emerging economies. And these booms that are going to follow the U.S. bust when the uh, foreign currencies rise and therefore that purchasing power is transferred from Americans to foreigners 
and now those foreigners enjoy a higher standard of living and they have more capital to invest domestically to further enhance their productivity and standard of living, that is all going to benefit the earnings and the valuations of all these foreign stocks. So I think we are laying the foundation for a massive bull market outside the United States. And many of these stocks now are gonna be starting that bull market from bargain basin prices that we rarely have an opportunity uh, to buy in, in, in the market. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And also, I, I, I meant to mention this whole thing got started too last night. This big decline in the stock market got started with the president's address. He had a 9 p.m. Eastern, very short address to the nation in which he basically said that he was going to be suspending all travel uh, between the United States and Europe other than the UK. So continental Europe and the United States, no more flights. And he actually said not only were individuals not going to be able to travel, but no cargo. And they walked back the cargo part today, but the individual travel ban is still there. And it, probably within a half hour of Trump's talk, the Dow futures went from relatively unchanged to down 1,000 points. So that's how quickly the market reacted. And then also, uh, during the day, starting last night, but throughout the day, we're now starting to see the impact of the coronavirus, not really the virus, but what companies are doing to prevent 
their customers and their employees from catching or transmitting the virus. And again, I think a lot of this is motivated by a desire uh, not to be sued. So they're trying to mitigate legal risk, which is a big problem in a country that is as litigious as ours. But now we're starting to see uh, sporting events being canceled, NBA, Major League Baseball, not having games, uh, theaters being closed, theme parks being shut, schools being shut. I mean, all sorts of things are now shutting down as a result of the precautions for the coronavirus. But the bigger problem for the economy, I recognize that the coronavirus itself is a problem. But what's making it a catastrophe is the fact that it's hitting an economy that is extremely vulnerable due to the excessive levels of debt in the economy. And why do we have an excessive level of debt? Because of all the quantitative easing of the past, because of the artificially low interest rates of the past. And so what's happening? Well, we're getting more of the same. The solution is more uh, cheap money, more artificially low interest rates, more quantitative easing. Now, all day long today on CNBC, everybody kept saying that this is nothing like 2008, which is so laughable because everything about this is like 2008. I mean, the stock market hasn't crashed like this really since 2008. I mean, it started in uh, you know the fourth quarter of 2018, uh, but this is this is much closer to 2008. I mean, the Fed was wasn't launching quantitative easing programs since 2008. I mean, it looks just like 2008. The financials are getting clobbered just like they did in 2008, and everybody is in denial just like they were in 2008. It wasn't until Lehman and Bear Stearns were bankrupt and it was obvious that everything was imploding that people got nervous. See, people are still just nervous about the coronavirus. Again, they're still focusing on the pin. I'm focusing on something much bigger than the pin, and that is the bubble that the pin pricked. And I'm focusing on the Fed's cure, which is worse than the coronavirus disease and which will be fatal for the U.S. economy. But if you want to really have an idea of the hubris and, and, and how ridiculous this is and what the people think. So Jim Cramer was on uh, CNBC this morning giving out economic advice uh, to the president from his uh, speaking slot there on, on CNBC. Remember, he was partners with Larry Kudlow. So obviously Larry Kudlow probably listens to what this, this guy has to say. Uh, and he did, by the way, recommend buying gold stocks. Uh, not too long ago, uh, I think maybe it was Newmont Mining or no, gold, Barrick Gold he recommended buying. And, you know, obviously what he's recommending now would be very bullish uh, for Barrick Gold, but I doubt that's why he's recommending it. But this is what Jim Cramer advised that we do. According to Jim Cramer, because of the problems in the economy, right, because companies have such trouble paying their bills and paying the interest on their loans, that the U.S. government should suspend all taxation, that nobody in America should have to send any money to the federal government, that we should get rid of the corporate tax, we should get rid of the personal income tax, we should get rid of the payroll tax, that all the people should be able to keep all of their money, right? Which is something I agree with. I would like to get rid of all the taxes. But first, we have to get rid of all the government that the taxes support. But Kramer doesn't want to do that. Kramer wants more government. He wants the government to also come in and backstop all these companies, guarantee all their debt, make sure nobody fails, 
provide money to the unemployed who aren't working because of the coronavirus. And at the same time, he wants to shut down all of the tax revenue coming into the government. So how does Kramer propose that the U.S. government eliminate all of its tax revenue, yet increase its expenditures? Where are they going to get the money? Well, Kramer has a brilliant idea, right? I mean, this is why he's on a national talk show. This is why, you know, he's one of the top minds at the best, uh, what, they, what is marketed as the best financial business uh, network in the world, right? One of the top minds. He's come up with this great, brilliant idea. And his idea is they can just print the darn money. And that's an exact quote. So we don't need any taxation. Just print all the darn money. That's what Jim Cramer wants the Fed to do. And you know what? They're probably going to follow his advice. Not to the letter. They're not going to get rid of all taxes. I mean, they're certainly going to cut taxes. But they are going to print the darn money. And they're going to print it. And they're going to print it. And they're going to print it. And it's going to crash. Right? The fact that the dollar gained some value today, the fact that gold happened to sell off a little bit today, is meaningless. All of this is noise, and it's happening in a market where nobody understands what's going on. I mean, if you actually listen to one expert after another, you will realize just how completely clueless they are. And these are the people who are making decisions about what to do with other people's money. And they have no idea. They're not smart enough to buy gold, but they will. At some point, they're going to have to. But there is some smart money out there. Right now, it's you know illiquid. I think all of the people who can see this coming, all the people like me who've known from the beginning that the Fed was making a mistake, that we were setting ourselves up for a monetary crisis, We've owned these gold stocks for years. So when the crisis happened, it's not like we suddenly bought the stocks. We've already owned them for years. The other people who haven't bought the gold stocks yet still haven't figured out. Despite everything that's happened, they don't know where this is headed. They still don't see what, you know, where we're going. And so we haven't got any new money coming into the gold mining stocks. And a lot of these smaller stocks, again, are very illiquid. But what has happened is a lot of the people who bought gold stocks, you know, years ago and expecting them to go up when we got QE4 announced, right? And that, you know, wasn't a bad bet to make or bad expectation. But since gold stocks are falling instead of rising, Maybe people are getting out of them because they didn't do what they thought they were going to do. Now, some of the sell decisions may not be voluntary because they may have been so convinced that gold stocks were going up that they bought them on margin. And now they get a margin call and they don't have the money. So now they're being forced to sell their positions. I think that's happened. And I think maybe some short sells. So I think there's a lot of short-term noise and illiquidity in a collapsing market that is affecting these stocks. But I still think we're going to wake up one morning and gold will be up $100, maybe $500. And these stocks are going to gap way, way up if they even can open them based on the order imbalances. So I think even though they're coming down and it looks scary, you buy. I bought more of these things today. Again, I didn't even know that I would have this opportunity uh, to buy more of these stocks at these prices, given A, what's already happened, given that so many of my forecasts now, so many of the things that I said for years that nobody in the mainstream thought was even possible are already history. They've already happened. Yet I can increase uh, my allocation to these stocks 
uh, at even better prices. So I'm taking advantage of it. I'm not concerned. Again, I have uh, no clients on margin. There's nothing that's forcing me uh, to sell any stocks. And so we could just ride out this noise. I don't think it's going to take that long. I don't think this is years. This is probably weeks, maybe months at the longest before people figure out where we're headed because we are going to be in a severe recession and we're going to be in another financial crisis. And it's not like it's going away. It's not like curing the coronavirus, which isn't going to be cured anytime soon. This is going to take six months to a year. Who knows? But during that period of time, all the damage is already done. And when the Fed's balance sheet is $10 trillion because of all the bonds it has to buy during this crisis, does it actually have any chance of being able to sell any of those bonds? Of course not. They're never going to be able to sell them. So it's a permanent monetization. The money supply, which was already up sharply yesterday, nobody is talking about the big increase in money supply. Well, it's going to be an even bigger increase in money supply. They're going to be printing money like it's going out of style. They're going to take Jim Cramer's advice, and they're going to print that darn money. You know, the amazing thing, too, is all of these people who keep coming up with these ideas and these plans on on what the government can do to help the economy a none of them even realize that it's the government's fault that we need so much help but also that the government is actually incapable of providing it right because all of these companies uh, all of these individual households who are in trouble are in trouble because they are in debt and now they want the U.S. government to help them, which has more debt than anybody else, right? The U.S. government is the biggest debtor on the planet. And so how does the biggest debtor help out smaller debtors? Well, by going deeper into debt itself, right? Well, if the individuals and the corporations don't have the capacity to go deeper into debt, how does the government have the capacity to do it when all the government has is the ability to tax the very people who don't have the capacity to take on the debt themselves. And if they can't take it on themselves, then how can they take it on indirectly through the government? And the answer is because the government has a printing press. See, nobody is concerned about how much damage the government does when they use that printing press. They think it's costless. I mean, in fact, if Jim Cramer is right, right, if we could just suspend taxation temporarily and run the government with a printing press, if it works during an emergency, just why not do it forever? Why not just say, hey, nobody has to pay any taxes. We're going to have all this big government and no one has to pay for it because we'll just print the darn money. Why don't we do that? And, you know, if we could con the rest of the world, if the Asians and the Europeans and the South Americans were dumb enough to take all that money that we print and hold on to it, warehouse it, and just ship us a bunch of goods, then maybe we can push off the cost of running all of our government on the rest of the world. But you know what? That's stupid. They're not. That's not going to happen. And, you know, if we're going to tell our creditors, hey, we don't care about tax revenue, right? We're going to suspend taxes. I mean, Trump is even talking about a permanent elimination of the payroll tax, which means the entire Social Security system would then be financed by the Federal Reserve in one big QE program. But if we're going to tell our creditors, hey, we're not going to rely on taxation uh, to repay our debts, right? We're going to just end taxes. And so the only way we can ever pay you back is by printing the money, or the only way we can pay you back is if you loan us back the same money that we're using to pay you back, right? It's a gigantic Ponzi scheme that there is no real mechanism because the real ability of the U.S. government supposedly to make good on its IOUs 
is its taxing authority, that it is going to tax the people in order to make good the bonds, right? It's going to pay back creditors through its ability to tax. But if it basically surrenders that ability, it says, hey, we're not even going to tax our people. We're just going to print money. What idiot would loan the U.S. government money when they know the only source of repayment is a printing press? Because that means the money is going to have no value. And I think that is why you were starting to see this weakness in the bond market. It's starting to blow up. The bond vigilantes weren't dead. They were just asleep. And they're starting to wake up. And here is the very interesting and scary part about today. So the yields on the 30-year treasuries were rising. The stock market was tanking. It was down over 2,000. And then the Federal Reserve comes in and announces this massive, unprecedented asset purchase program, right? And the knee-jerk reaction was a big rally in the stock market. The Dow went from down 2,000 to only down about seven, 800. Then it rolled over and closed on new lows. Uh, but the rally in the bond market and the decline in yields reversed. And so the yield on the 30-year treasury actually closed higher on the day. It was actually higher than it was prior to the Fed's intervention. We're now all the way back up to 1.44%. Now that's still a very, very low yield, but think about where it was three days ago. And the yield on the 10-year is now back up to 0.8, right? Double where it was, but we're having a bigger move in the 30-year. So the Fed came out the market with everything it had, right? Like I used that example of Superman. They, they shot their bazooka right at Superman's chest, and he's still standing there. It didn't phase him. The stock market sold off and closed on new lows. Obviously, the Fed's uh, program was not only aimed to rescue the bond market, but rescue the stock market. And it didn't work. The stock market closed on new lows. Now what are they going to do? You know, it wasn't too long ago, a few weeks ago, that the Dow Jones was almost at 30,000. We were less than 500 points away from 30,000. And now, looking at where the Dow futures are trading, we're less than 900 points from 20,000, 10,000 points. I mean, 900 points. I mean, the way this market is moving, we could, we could do that tomorrow. Hell, we could do that tonight in the futures market. That is a quick move uh, from 30,000 to 20,000. And if we can go to 20,000, we can go to 10,000. You know, if those big name stocks finally buckle like they should, that's where we're going to go. Now, I think what the Fed is going to do is come back with more. I mean, that's what they do. They're going to, they haven't even cut rates yet, so they haven't you know, fired that, uh, that missile yet. They're still holding on to that, but that's coming, right? The market knows that we're going back to zero. It's only a question of are they going to do it before the next meeting or are they going to do it at the next meeting? But they're going to do it. But I don't think it's going to work because if it would have worked, it would have worked already. We have a long way to go because this is a big, big bubble and there is a lot of air yet to come out. And you know, while I'm on the topic of bubbles, I got to talk about the biggest bubble of them all, and that is the Bitcoin bubble. Although it's also a little bit broader than just Bitcoin, uh, there's all sorts of other uh, cryptocurrencies that they call altcoins uh, that people own. But that bubble popped, you know, the Bitcoins topped out at 20,000. Uh, at the end of 2017, and it's been declining ever since. 
but it has had uh, a number of sucker rallies along the way. And in fact, last week, Bitcoin was over $9,000. And there was a lot of enthusiasm because, oh, it's going back up. It's 9,000. Well, as I am recording this, Bitcoin is below 5,900 and it's been lower. Forget what the low was. I think it got down to 55, 5,600, but it was down about 25, 30% today in one day. This market has collapsed. This thing has crashed. Now it's not at zero yet. I mean, what all the Bitcoin people were saying up until today as well, it's, you know, it's still positive on the year. No, it's not. It's now down on the year. It's down, I don't know, maybe close to 20% now. I'm not really sure how much it's down, uh, but it's big, right? Gold is still up on the year. And, you know, that was another thing that happened today because gold is down 4% today. And a lot of the stories I'm reading about Bitcoin, of course, I'm not seeing any uh, commentary on CNBC. I mean, they have been radio silent all week. Uh, on CNBC. In fact, before I started this podcast, I was watching Fast Money and they've got that guy on there, Tom Lee, who's a regular on the show. He's there all the time and he's Mr. Crypto, Mr. Bitcoin. I mean, sometimes I'll have this guy on and they'll give him five to 10 minutes just to tout Bitcoin, right? So this guy comes on today. I'm watching an interview with him saying, hey, are they going to actually mention Bitcoin? And they interviewed the guy, an entire interview, and not one question about Bitcoin, and not once did he even mention Bitcoin, even though it's down 20%, 25% on the day. Now, you know, if Bitcoin was up 25% on the day, that's all they would have talked about. This would have been a big story on CNBC. Now, I know they had a lot to cover, right? But they wouldn't have ignored Bitcoin if it was up 25%. They would have been saying, see, it's a safe haven, it's a store of value. But because Bitcoin crashed, the exact opposite of what these clowns were saying it was going to do, they stayed silent. And it's very suspicious. You know, I am wondering if their lawyers uh, didn't get a hold of these guys and say, hey, you know what, you better, you better button this up, you know, put a gag order. Because I still think there's something fishy going on because, you know, they made a lot of money uh, with that drop gold campaign. That guy, Siebert, uh, Grace to Go Trust, they spent a fortune on ads telling people to buy Bitcoin. And when they launched those ads, Bitcoin uh, was about, I don't know, 6,000 and change. And it went all the way up to like 13, 14,000. And, um, you know, that Bitcoin trust uh, was, you know, doubled in price. So a lot of people got in. Of course, now it's crashed. Uh, the, the shares of that trust are now lower than they were in May 1st when the campaign began and Bitcoin is lower. Uh, so a lot of people have lost a lot of money, but I have a feeling that a lot of the positive coverage uh, that the network gave to Bitcoin had to do with all that ad money they were getting in favor of Bitcoin. And there could have been some other things. And so maybe they got nervous. Now, I don't know anything. I don't have any, I mean, I'm not even a guest anymore on that show. I'm just, you know, trying to figure out why would that network have given so much airtime day after day after day pumping Bitcoin. Every day it went up, pump, 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 pump. And then it comes crashing down and they don't say a word. They don't even talk about it. They pretend it's not even happening. Well, I'm not going to pretend. And what is happening is what I've been saying is going to happen is that the whole Bitcoin narrative is blowing up, right? It's not currency because nobody uses it as a medium of exchange. It's clearly not a store of value because there's no value to store. It's not a safe haven because nobody buys it when they're looking for safe havens. It has zero correlation really to other safe havens. Uh, it's a risk asset. 
except it's not non-correlated because when risk assets go down, it goes down even more. So there's absolutely no investment case to be made for Bitcoin. The only people in it now are the true believers, the hodlers who are going to go down with the ship and be the bag holders. All the so-called institutional money that everybody was waiting for, if any of it ever came in, it's getting out. And no institutional money is going to get in because now the whole selling point of, of Bitcoin is gone. It's been proven to be a, a fraud, a, a, a ruse. It's not anything. There was no protection. There's, there was no non-correlation. No portfolio that incorporated an allocation to Bitcoin improved their returns. Any portfolio that added Bitcoin is doing worse because of their exposure to Bitcoin. It didn't insulate the decline. It didn't do anything to negate their losses. It simply augmented their losses. But again, you know, a lot of these Bitcoin guys are trying to take solace in the fact that gold was also down today. And they're saying, oh, you see, everything was down, so nothing is a safe haven. See, gold was down. Gold was down today, right? Safe havens aren't safe havens on a daily basis. Nothing is a safe haven on a daily basis. Everything has some degree of volatility. The thing about gold is that volatility is a lot lower than most assets. And over time, gold is a store of value. The longer the time, uh, the better the store of value and the better the safe haven. And what people also have to remember is that the US dollar is not the only currency in the world. And people buy gold all over the world and they look at the price in their own currency. So since you had a big rise in the dollar today, that means the price of gold didn't really fall very much in terms of a lot of other currencies. So for a lot of other people, gold is acting as a store of value. Even if it looks like it's falling in terms of the U.S. currency, it may be rising in terms of another currency. But the fact that gold did go down today is allowing Bitcoin to kind of uh, you know, the Bitcoin promoters to kind of spin this nonsense that, well, it's okay that it's down. Meanwhile, gold is down 4% and Bitcoin's down 25% or maybe 30%. I, you know, who knows? It's dropping like a stone here. Um, so there is nothing similar between those assets, right? Yes, a 4% drop is a big drop for gold in one day. In fact, we had another 4% drop not too long ago. But in the scheme of things, those types of drops are rare for gold. They don't happen very often. With Bitcoin, 4% is nothing. I mean, Bitcoin can move by 4% any given day. But when you have Bitcoin losing 20, 25%, 30% of its value in a single day, anyone's going to say that that's digital gold or a store of value or a safe haven? And look at you know some of the other cryptocurrencies. Ethereum was down 32% or as of now. Bitcoin Cash down 34%, Bitcoin SV down 35%, Litecoin down 30%, uh, Beyonce coin down 29%, Tezos down 31%. I mean, I can go on and on and on with these currencies down 20 to 30% or more. I mean, what does that in one day? I mean, you're talking about a decline in a day. This is not over a longer period of time. This is one day. And who knows, we still have all night for these things to fall and all day tomorrow. But I think that this story is finished, right? Bitcoin has proven that it doesn't or it has failed to live up to all of the hype and all the expectations. And just like I said earlier, you know, I think there were some people who sold out their gold stocks because they had expected them to rally and they lost patience. They didn't rally. And so they sold. 
Uh, I think, you know, that's also going to be happening with Bitcoin. But there's a big difference between Bitcoin and these gold stocks. And by the way, there are some people out there I noticed that were saying, hey, your gold stocks are getting killed, too. They're not a safe haven. I've never said on this podcast or anywhere that gold stocks were a safe haven. I've always made a big differentiation between gold, the metal, gold bullion, and gold mining stocks. I have always told everybody that gold mining stocks are highly speculative, very different. Gold is a safe haven. Gold is a store of value, not mining stocks and certainly not junior mining stocks. These are highly speculative assets that can have wild swings. But the reason that I'm buying them is because I am speculating that the price of gold is going to go way up. And I don't believe that that rise has been factored into these stocks by the market because the market doesn't know it's coming. I think the, the people who invest money and nothing can attest to that better than the news coverage that I'm watching, but the big investors that control all the money are completely clueless about what's going to happen. They don't understand the dynamics at play. They don't really understand economics. They don't really understand money. Uh, it doesn't matter that they manage a lot of it. They don't really understand it. And they're just a herd and they're just following what other people are doing. And so they haven't figured out where gold is going. And because I have figured out where gold is going, I am buying all these stocks because that high gold price is not incorporated into the value of these stocks. Now, what is going to happen at some point all the people who have no idea how high gold is going to go are now going to get an idea of where it's going because it's already going to be there. And of course, it's probably going to go a lot higher than wherever it is where those guys finally figure it out. But then they're going to come rushing into these gold stocks. And by the time they do, I think they're going to pay much, much higher prices than the prices I paid, even though at the moment you could buy the stocks for lower prices than what I paid. But the only reason you could do that is because nobody is buying. If a lot of institutional money tried to get into the gold mining sector now, the stocks would have gone up, not down. The reason they're going down is because they haven't made the decision to buy yet. But eventually they will. But the big difference, too, between gold and Bitcoin is this is just a temporary drop in the price of gold. It's a small drop and it's a temporary drop. It is a much larger drop in uh, mining stocks, which are a speculative asset. But again, just like I mentioned in the podcast yesterday, gold stocks got killed in 2008, right? Like they're getting killed now. But when the dust settled, they exploded higher, much faster than the U.S. stock market. Even though the U.S. stock market went down less, gold stocks made new highs first and they kept on going. And I think we're poised for an even greater uh, explosion in these gold stocks when the dust settles here. And remember, when the dust settles, all you're going to see is piles and piles of helicopter money because we are going to get tax cuts. We are going to get massive government spending and massive government bailouts, much bigger than the TARP programs and the bailouts that we had in 2008. I mean, when you hear these guys talk about how this is nothing like 2008, they're only right in the sense that this is so much worse than 2008 because the economy is in so much worse shape the bailouts are going to be so much more expensive and we're so less able as a nation to afford them because we're already broke from the bailouts of the past and we're even less able uh, to pull off the bailouts of the future 
They're focusing on the differences between 2008 and today. The difference being there was no coronavirus back then. Yes, I get that. It is not exactly the same. History doesn't repeat itself exactly, but it rhymes. That's what they're talking about. Don't focus on the pin. Don't focus on the fact that there wasn't a coronavirus and now there's a coronavirus, right? That's what the people who don't understand what's going on are being blindsided by that. They have to look at what's happening beneath the surface and the real reason that this is not just a health crisis or an economic slowdown, but a financial crisis, a worse financial crisis than the one we had in 2008. And the next recession is going to be a greater recession than the one we had in 2008. And when the dollar tanks and when gold takes off, it's gonna be stagflation. It's not only gonna be massive recession, but prices are gonna go up, interest rates are gonna go up. Despite the Fed's best efforts to contain them, they're gonna go up anyway. And consumer prices are not just gonna go up, they're going way up.